Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman, a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll visit with Timothy Head, executive director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. A very interesting column about uh, people who are in jail and uh, ways to make their lives better and make sure they're ready to go into society. Phil Kirpin, he's the uh, president of American Commitment, will be joining us, as well as Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books, also writes his column for Newsmax.com. It is December the 22nd, and on this day in 1864, Union General William T. Sherman presented the city of Savannah to uh, President Abraham Lincoln. Sherman captured the city after his famous march to the sea from Atlanta. Savannah had been one of the major ports that remained open to Confederates. After Sherman captured Atlanta in September of 1864, he didn't plan to stay long. There was still Confederate Army of the uh, General John Bell Hood in the area, the cavalry leaders like Nathan Bedford Forrest and John Wheeler, Joe Wheeler, who could threaten Sherman's supply lines. In November, Sherman had dispatched part of his force back to Nashville, Tennessee, to deal with Hood, while Sherman cut free from his supply lines and headed south and east across Georgia. Along the way, his troops destroyed nearly everything in their path. Sherman's intent was to wreck the morale of the South and bring the war to a swift end. For nearly six weeks, nothing was heard from Sherman's army. Finally, just before Christmas, word arrived that Sherman's army was outside Savannah. A Union officer reached the coast and found a Union warship. They carried him to Washington, D.C. to personally deliver the news of this success. Sherman wired Lincoln with the message, I beg to present to you as a Christmas gift the city of Savannah with 150 heavy guns and plenty of ammunition and about 25,000 bales of cotton. That Christmas gift uh, from Sherman, Sherman's March to the Sea, uh, to President Lincoln. U.S. stocks closed higher yesterday, winning back much of the previous day's losses, a rebound from the worst day since September in the markets. Economic data fueled optimism that the Federal Reserve would ease monetary policy and revive investor risk appetite. After three major U.S. stocks posted gains as chips of the major uh, <clears throat> indexes uh, surged, uh, led by Micron Technology after a better-than-expected quarterly forecast, putting the tech-heavy Nasdaq out in front. The rally gained momentum as the session grew to a close. Data on Thursday showed uh, third-quarter U.S. economic growth was not as robust as originally stated, and cracks are beginning to appear in the tight labor market, which is uh, all good uh, for the prognosis of the Fed uh, reducing interest rates in the future. So... Uh, Right now, of course, futures are down right now, so it looks like we might give back some of the gains that we had yesterday in uh, yesterday's market behavior. The Biden administration is releasing its final five-year offshore drilling program, which boosts uh, providing the fewest oil and gas leases in U.S. history. The rules were first proposed in late September and was at the proposed plan. The final program allows for three oil and gas lease programs and sales in the Gulf of Mexico, which will be held in 2025. 2027 and 2029. Oil companies will have one last opportunity Wednesday to purchase uh, leases, and then there'll be no more lease sales until 2025. The administration designed its program, according to the notice, to allow the minimum amount of uh, oil and gas leases in the Gulf while still meeting the Inflation Reduction Act requirements for offshore wind. Now, the IRA, Inflation Reduction Act, uh, prohibits the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management from issuing leases off for offshore and wind development unless the agency offers at least 60 million acres of offshore oil and gas leasing in the previous year. With the three lease sales, the program will allow Biden to administ his administration to release its goal, reach its goal of 60 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030. <clears throat> 
since taking office. President Joe Biden has been trying to reduce oil and gas development on public land as much as possible. A week into his presidency, he issued a moratorium on all new oil and gas leases on public lands, which a federal judge in Louisiana shot down the following summer. Despite the setback, Biden administration has kept leasing on uh, federal lands to a trickle. Tim Stewart, uh, president of the U.S. Oil and Gas Association, said that the restrictions have a large impact on the economy as operations of federal lands account for between 15 and 20 percent of oil and gas production in the United States. Larry Behrens, communication director for Power of the Future, said that the state of the economy should have led the administration to reconsider its restrictions on oil and gas production. And here's his quote, fewer American jobs, less energy security might be the worst Christmas present ever. But that's exactly what Joe Biden is giving us to make matters worse. Prices are still soaring and debt rising while the Biden administration is proud of the fact they're shutting off critical production and possible revenue that comes with it, Barron said. Strong energy production is a testament to America's workers, but Joe Biden sees it as a reason to kneecap them at every turn. No doubt this decision is a great gift to Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and Iran, but the United States is stuck with another year of how the Biden Grinch stole American energy independence, Barron said. So along with that, though, and see, here's the interesting thing. Can you imagine acres and acres of windmills out in the ocean and uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. That's what we're going to begin to see. And in spite of that, almost all of uh, half of Buick dealers across the United States, Buick automobiles I'm talking about, have opted to take buyouts from General Motors to avoid having to sell electric vehicles at a time when consumer reports show that Americans are increasingly turned off by the cars. According to GM, almost a thousand of the new of the nearly two thousand Buick dealerships across the U.S. chose to take buyouts from the parent company rather than investing potentially millions into retooling and prepping dealers to service and sell EVs. The buyout means that GM now will have to just about a thousand Buick dealerships across the nation as the automobile maker uh, moves forward with adhering to President Biden's green energy agenda. Dealers are taking the buyout would give up uh, the Buick franchise and no longer be able to sell the brand. The dealer can continue to sell other GM models, however. The uh, journal reported in late 2022 that the automaker plans to offer buyouts to GM U.S. uh, Buick dealers network. The move came after the Detroit automaker gave them a choice, invest at least $300,000 to sell and service EVs or exit the Buick franchise. About half of them did exactly that. And uh, I think that money talks. I mean, clearly they were seeing what's happening in the market. The move comes as U.S. car dealers are so concerned with EV sales that they're urging Biden to abandon his EDEV mandates and carbon emission regulations that would effectively force all electric cars on consumers. The reality, however, is that electric vehicle demand today is not keeping up with the large influx of EVs arriving at our dealerships, prompting about, prompted by current regulations. EVs are stacking up in our lots, car dealers write. With each passing day, it becomes more apparent that this attempted electric vehicle mandate is unrealistic based on its current forecasted customer demand. Already, electric vehicles are stacking up in our lots, which is our best indicator of customer demand in the marketplace. At the same time, a bombshell consumer report survey recently reveals that EVs spur nearly 80% more problems for car owners than gas-powered cars using traditional combustion engines. Uh, two different stories there. What about uh, limiting the development of oil and gas on public lands and also the sale of EVs? And, and again, this president continues to press on with his policies that are going to destroy the energy industry here in the United States and make things work more miserable, economically more miserable for the American public. Well, a federal judge ordered the names of 177 associates of the late convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein to be made public in 2024 with the unsealing of court documents. That'll happen, I think, on January the 3rd. The judge on money ordered the names to be unsealed in the connection to the defamation case brought by Prince Andrew's accuser, Virginia Roberts Guffrey, uh, against Ghislaine Maxwell, Epstein's uh, former girlfriend, who was sentenced to 20 years in prison for sex crimes. Hundreds of the files related to the associates are set to be released on January 1st. Of course, it's a holiday, so it'll be released the following day. 
The 51-page court order, first published by the Daily Mail, lists 187 Epstein associates and whether their information would be unsealed and why. The names and identities of these uh, information of the 10 J. Doe's listed will also remain sealed because they are allegedly minor sexual abuse victims uh, who have not publicly spoken. So you're going to protect the young and the innocent. But nevertheless, should find out an awful lot about them. Now, this is not necessarily a list of the clientels or associates, but uh, we will find out a lot on uh, early January about the list of, uh, and I would imagine there's some people who are pretty fidgety about this list being exposed. Kind of interesting. Former President uh, Donald Trump is not shaken by the 4-3 decision of the Colorado Supreme Court disqualifying him from being on the state's GOP primary ballot. This according to Alina Haba, uh, explaining that it's just another day for him. It's another day. I mean, I would love to tell you that he's shaken by it, but he's not, Haba said. When asked about uh, where Trump's head is in these hearing the news, it's just another day, she said. This is the way they've been treating him since 2015, and boy, is that true. It just shows how much he loves the country. He's willing to sacrifice every piece of his life, including his family, businesses, for the sake of the country. So he's strong, she said. He continues, uh, he's stronger than ever. He's still on the campaign trail. He's cl- clearly leading, and that's why they're attacking him so hard. And while Haba expressed confidence that the Supreme Court will ultimately do the right thing and reverse the decision, she made it clear that the left is only doing this because of their so afraid he will win in 2024. But ironically, they're not only pushing more Americans behind Trump than uh, with these acts of desperation. And it's true. Every time they start pulling this lawfare, it just makes Trump's numbers look even greater. <clears throat> what they don't realize is the more they do to, to uh, do these desperate attempts to take Trump down, it emboldens the base and emboldens and flips the independent voters towards Trump. She said, adding, I mean, there's only one real spark outrage, as you, as you saw. And it's so true. Uh, this is such a sad story. Former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani filed for bankruptcy Thursday in New York, citing that he had up to $500 million in liability, according to a new court filing, that comes after he was ordered to pay $148 million in defamation case in the Georgia, to Georgia election workers. His Chapter 11 bankruptcy petition lists about $1 million and $10 million in assets between those two figures and, and between 100 and 500 million dollars in liabilities. How sad is that? And this all be, uh, happened because he served Trump as his attorney. So I think this is going to be really sad for, for uh, the country because who's going to want to serve Trump uh, in his new uh, administration when they see this type of liability occurring? It's very, very sad. Uh, the case that uh, Giuliani wrote, uh, lost, by the way, to these two women, uh, that should be repeal, appealed. He certainly, there's new information that they actually did what he claimed they did, and uh, this uh, ruling should be reversed. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. And now serving dinner 
4 to 8 p.m. Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Phil Kirpin. He's the president of American Commitment. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Pacific Legal uh, Foundation. You bet. We're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. PacificLegal.org is the website. I hope you check it out, PacificLegal.org. So, William, uh, Colorado Supreme Court decided uh, that uh, Trump couldn't appear on the ballot. This is just shocking. I mean, he hasn't been convicted of any kind of a, a crime that relates to what they're doing here. What are your thoughts? It's shocking indeed. And I'll note at the outset that you had brought up this prospect. Uh, of state courts using the Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, the so-called insurrection clause, to get Trump off the ballot um, a couple months ago. And and I recall dismissing it out of hand. Mm. Um, So it's egg on my face, um, (laughs) because this Colorado Supreme Court ruling, um, as you set forth at the outset, by a four to three vote, um, uh, uh, removed Trump from the ballot. And I'll note uh, an interesting aside about that four to three vote. So all seven of the justices in the Colorado Supreme Court were appointed by uh, Democratic governors, so uh, all left-leaning. Um, the four votes uh, in, against Trump, they were all Ivy League grads. And then the three dissenting votes, interestingly enough, were all graduates of law school uh, from within Colorado, either the University of Colorado or the University of Denver. Um, and I think that's an, an interesting dichotomy there. Uh, with regard to the decision, I'll note two problems and two ironies. Um, the problems, uh, the first one is, is this is myopic, um, and this is a complaint I've had of these other politicized prosecutions, um, and, and that's that we're sort of letting the cat out of the bag, uh, Pandora's box, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, they're establishing a template for the other side to use these same mechanisms yeah. um, to further their own politics. So that troubles me. Um, the other problem, and you alluded to this at the outset, is one of due process. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no jury. The Trump didn't testify. Um, the insurrection is a crime in this country. Uh, Trump hasn't been uh, convicted of that crime, nor has he been charged with that crime um, in the one of uh, January 6th Jack Smith proceeding. So it raises serious due process concerns. Um, and then I'll note two ironies. Uh, one is that the proponents of this decision, the proponents of this litigation, they talk about how they're saving democracy, quote unquote. And and it's just a strange way Uh to save democracy by taking someone off the ballot who enjoys, you know, uh, commanding support among one of the two primary political parties. Um, And then the other irony, uh, and this one has been been noted by many, and I think I've noted this on prior calls with respect to the other politicized prosecutions, 
but they're only making Trump stronger. Right. Um, you know, one of his primary platforms is the system is rigged. Yeah. And these these uh, these rulings that, that they're stretching the law, these these novel applications of the law, seemingly only to get at Trump. Um, they're playing directly into his hands, and it's no coincidence that since all these sorts of prosecutions and litigation efforts began, um, his lead in the Republican primary, and indeed vis-a-vis Biden, has only become more commanding in the case of the former and uh, stronger in the case of the latter, vis-a-vis Biden. So it is uh, just on so many fronts, uh, I bemoan all of this. I absolutely agree. And as I understand it, about 16 other states are thinking about trying the same strategy, including the uh, lieutenant, I guess it now is the attorney general in California. She said that, you know, anybody over the age of 40, (laughs) the Constitution says the minimum age for a president of the United States is 35. So she doesn't even understand the (laughs) content of the Constitution. It's just so ironic. But the other side of this is, I think you alluded to this as well, that uh, right now GOPs are talking about let's keep Biden off the uh, off of the uh, ballot because uh, he can be accused of high crimes and misdemeanors without a trial at this point. So why not just do the, use the same strategy with him? Indeed, tit for tat, um, and and that is frankly that that is the most alarming long term consequence. Yeah, I mean, and it speaks to the lack of discretion. Everyone is always impugning Trump for being so unreasonable and, and uh, supposedly lacking any discretion whatsoever. But that's precisely what we're seeing on behalf of the proponents of all these novel litigation claims that, again, there will be blowback. Um, and this is it's very unsettling. It's very troubling. Indeed. Before I let you go, William, uh, any comments at all or update on the congressional spending uh, program that they're trying to put together? <laughs> well, the... I must say that I'm, uh, my patience with uh, Speaker Johnson is starting to wear a bit thin yeah. um, in that uh, they, they appear ready to punt again, um, sort of all difficult decision-making until after the holidays. So stay tuned. But uh, again, it, it's been a couple months of this, and uh, it's, about, it's well past time um, for him to live up to the promises he made when he assumed the role of speakership and get serious about our runaway spending. Yeah, I have no doubt that this is probably new to him, and he's got pressure coming at him from all directions. I have no doubt about that. It's, he has to be uh, tough, real tough. But uh, the best thing he could do right now is just uh, full speed ahead, uh, stay focused on the on the goal, on the the the, the ring, and uh, make sure that uh, he. And for example, just this uh, a bill that the Senate's putting together, they want to have one bill that incorporates uh, not only spending but also. Uh, Ukraine and Israel, and uh, he should say, no, 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 we're going to separate these issues and have one bill at a time. I could not agree more. I mean, as I've, I've said on many, many Fridays, a return to regular order, a return to deliberation, a return to serious thinking about how we spend the public's money um, is of the order. And that's what he promised when he when he assumed the speakership. Yeah. And uh, no doubt that leadership is difficult, but that's the nature of leadership. William Yateman, again, Senior Legal Fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org is the website. William, just genuinely appreciate you coming on the show, and thank you so much for joining us, and happy holidays to you. Thank you so much, Bob, and have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you so much, William. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Timothy Head. He is the Executive Director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. 
Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And I hope you find out more and visit the website. Also, tickets coming up for some great performances. You can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin, the president of American Commitment. Right now, we have with us Timothy Head. He is the executive director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Timothy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Of course. Thanks so much for being with, uh, for letting me be with you this morning, Bob. Thank you, Tim. Tell us about the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Uh, well, you bet. Uh, we uh, we exist uh, to to further public policy. Uh, the way we like to say it is uh, from a biblical and a constitutional framework. Mm. Uh, so we uh, we work on uh, on issues like uh, certainly like protecting innocent life and religious liberty and uh, the traditional nuclear family. Uh, the state of uh, the nation state of Israel, but we also work on issues like human trafficking and education reform, and and working to modernize our justice system. And so, you know, we work on a lot of different issues on the federal level and the state level. Uh, but the bottom line is, we we uh, we really really strive to make sure that people of faith, particularly Christians, have a voice in government. Well, thank you for that, Timothy. And uh, you wrote a piece in the Hill with Sam Lewis. It's called. Help people in prison change for the better. I really appreciated this column. Maybe you can tell us about it. You bet. Well, uh, you know, about uh, about eighteen or twenty years ago, I started um, uh, having experiences working with people in the justice system, and and uh, and listen, you know, obviously we need a justice system that that is um, that's a, a fair and a just justice system. But I, I've uh, in working with a lot of people in prison now for for almost two decades. Uh, I've found that a lot of people uh, really do turn their lives around, even if they make make, make uh, significant mistakes. They can turn their lives around, and uh, and that that piece that I wrote with my friend Sam Lewis, uh, Sam is actually a great example of that. He uh, he spent uh, almost 20 years uh, in, matter of fact, just over 20 years in uh, in prison in California for a, a crime that you know, frankly, he he deserves uh, to be accountable for. Um, but he uh, dramatically changed probably about five or six years into his time in prison. And, um, and he, he has gotten out since then, and he leads an organization uh, out in California that, that helps people uh, reenter society peacefully and smoothly, transition from prisons uh, into, into, uh, into California society uh, to, to reduce the recidivism rate or that, mm -hmm. that rate of, of reoffending. Uh, because we really do believe that people sh certainly a should should deserve second chances and, and b if we can do or we can go about that transition process uh, smoothly, uh, we can help to reintegrate uh, families and uh, and frankly just make our our streets safer. Yeah. So that uh, that piece that we wrote is really uh, about a lot of research that we've done now over the last uh, eight or ten, but in particular the last three years. Uh, studying programs across the country that are doing that successfully, helping people re-enter um, uh, society smoothly and uh, and and safely. Uh, and uh, honestly, it's a it's a very encouraging. You know, a lot of us in media don't talk about it enough, but it's actually a lot of encouraging things that are happening around those transition programs across the country. 
Yeah, and it makes so much sense. I mean, if you can imagine being 20 years in prison, and uh, maybe you've turned your life around for what, but if you, you know, you have all this time that you have in prison, and uh, if you're not getting any kind of uh, instruction, any kind of uh, guidance, education in terms of how to live the appropriate life outside of prison, uh, you know, your chances, things are really against you. That's, uh, that's exactly right, and, and uh, you know, again, it's, this isn't something that a lot of us just kind of sit, sit around and, and spend a lot of time thinking about, but, uh, but for years and years, unfortunately, uh, we really, most of the kind of philosophy behind prisons was just to warehouse people and to segregate them, to separate them from society, mm-hmm. just to, you know, to kind of make dangerous people be away so that it's safe, okay? So there's, you know, a certain legitimacy to that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we've, we've seen that, you know, if you offer programming, educational programming, character-building programming, certainly, you know, alcohol and drug addiction uh, uh, programming for people that have problems there, uh, you can really significantly uh, uh, boost uh, the, the chances of people uh, reentering, again, safely and, and smoothly. Okay, so... Uh Tell us about some of the best practices or some of the things you've learned and, and what we could do in order to better support people coming out of prison. Well, you know, uh, so jobs, uh, uh, providing job training is definitely a major, major element to this. Uh, and so more and more companies uh, have started uh, being willing to, to hire people coming out of prison if they've shown a, a long history of, of rehabilitation and, and, uh, and, and good behavior in prison. Uh, but an element that uh, that people don't talk about enough, the single biggest indicator of somebody succeeding when they get out of prison is, is if they have a, a stable uh, social environment, social network to come back to. Usually that's a family, but sometimes families, you know, don't, don't function very well. And so uh, you, you can have, um, uh, for us at, at Faith and Freedom, believe, uh, believe that, uh, you know, church networks can be a, a really great uh, support system. So that there's, you know, there's there's accountability and camaraderie, but also just, you know, um, uh, a little literal, just emotional, uh, emotional and social support systems yeah. uh, around people when they get out. When you've been uh, gone for, you know, eight, ten, maybe fifteen or twenty years, and when you come back, there's a, there's a real jolt uh, to people's systems. They're not used to uh, to that freedom, frankly. And so you want job job opportunities, economic uh, uh, opportunities for people, but you really want relationships. And, uh, and, and again, uh, uh, positive uh, support systems surrounding them. And so assist, uh, programs across the country that sort of uh, uh, think through those two elements, the social network and the, and the job opportunities, economic opportunities, uh, are, are, I would say, the, the two biggest variables or factors that, that we're seeing that good programs, uh, statewide programs, uh, that consider those two things are the ones that, that uh, provide the, the most success uh, long-term. That sounds so interesting. So how do you facilitate that? If somebody's in prison, they don't have a chance to build these networks. Uh, is there some way to facilitate those relationships coming out of prison? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, again, uh, the, the, um, the kind of historic uh, uh, approach has been to, to separate or segregate people uh, but the the more you can keep people connected to their families, uh, and and you know again there's there's some uh, some context uh, appropriate elements to this. I mean sometimes the nature of crimes uh, that you don't want families uh, you know to to be associating with them. But but over overwhelmingly, if you can keep um, you know if people can come come in and actually uh, visit with. Uh, with inmates while they're actually in uh, incarcerated, uh-huh. uh, that that remains. Uh, not only does it keep that that relationship and connection intact, but it also provides a lot of incentive and hope uh, for the person that is in incarcerated uh, to actually, you know, work work the program and stay engaged to not kind of check out and and uh, you know um, yeah. lose any of those incentives. Uh, so you want people connected to the outside, you know, in in positive, hopeful ways. Uh, and then, you know, again, the job training programs and eventually uh, there are actually some really interesting programs even about like providing entrepreneurship training yeah. uh, and and, um, and even kind of like small level C, uh, uh, funding, seed funding uh, when they get out to, sm- to start, you know, maybe like a food truck or a, a uh, you know, a lawn, a lawn care business or something like that that, you know, isn't, isn't going to cost a million dollars, but, you know, maybe maybe they might be able to get a $25,000 loan when they get out to be able to get a, you know, uh, to, to get a pickup and, yeah. you know, a lawnmower and, 
and uh, and various equipment to be able to to, to start that process. And so, uh, a lot of really cutting edge kind of smart things that are not, you know, uh, they don't seem revolutionary, but when you really kind of think through it. Uh, there are very practical programs like that across the country that have emerged over the last decade. Yeah, absolutely. In your column, you mentioned the first step back, which I thought was really interesting, is that you know, giving people credit or, or time you know, off of their sentence for completing certain academic or, or, or achievements uh, in, in, uh, in prison. That's exactly right. So the first step back was, was uh, uh, passed and signed um, by uh, uh, President Trump uh, in Matter of fact, I think it was five years ago today that he signed it into, into office, huh. uh, signed it into law in the Oval Office, and uh, this has been a revolutionary piece of of, uh, of criminal justice reform legislation that, uh, like the the name suggests, it, it provides uh, uh, inmates that first step in reentering. So uh, the Federal Bureau of Prisons now has much more robust uh, um, job training program and uh, programming, and then also. Uh, that kind of character development and drug rehabilitation programming. Uh, we've seen almost 30,000 people, 29,000 and change, uh, released under that act. Wow. Uh, and uh, under the First Step Act, uh, usually the Federal Bureau of Prisons has about a 43 or 44% uh, recidivism rate or reoffending rate. Uh, uh, people released under that act through those programming uh, only has about a 12% re-offending uh, uh, re- re- or recidivism rate, uh, which frankly is 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 kind of jaw-dropping for people that work in, in corrections these days. Absolutely. Tim, a uh, website for the Faith and Freedom Coalition? You bet. We're at ffcoalition.com. That's ffcoalition.com. All right, Tim. Just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Hope you and your family have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, great to be with you. God bless and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Phil Kirpin, the uh, president of American Commitment. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Excuse me, I hadn't turned up my, my microphone, and I apologize for that. 
let me repeat uh, that the uh, show is brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They know the politics and the policy, and they prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in uh, their elected office. The website is thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Well, the uh, speaking to his country in the world Wednesday, Prime, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu issued a choice to Iranian-backed terrorist organization Hamas, surrender or die. We will continue the war until the end, until the elimination of Hamas, until victory. Those who think will stop and not connect it to reality, all Hamas terrorists, from the first to the last, are mortal. They have only two options, surrender or die, Netanyahu said. His remarks come as the U.S. and Israel continue to reject calls for permanent ceasefire, noting such a move would be a victory for Hamas. So uh, pretty pretty clear where he stands on this, and in, irrespective of all the naysayers around the globe, UN, uh, you name it, uh, people who are saying that there should be a ceasefire, he's saying, no, that's not going to happen. Now, the situation is complicated because this story, I think, indicates how complex this whole thing is. The head of the hospital in northern Gaza admitted that he is a Hamas operative, the head of the hospital, and that the terrorist organization used his hospital for military operations. Now, it's one thing to know that they, you know, they were coerced into using the hospital, but the head of the hospital happens to be a mem- member of Hamas. He's a Hamas operative. On Tuesday, uh, Israel Defense Forces released an interrogation video of uh, Ahmad Kalot, the chief of the hospital, whom they presumably detained when IDF forces took control of the hospital last week. Kalat uh, identified himself as a senior Hamas official holding the equivalent rank of a brigadier general who joined the terrorist group in 2010 and underwent military training. In in the video, Kalat uh, told his interrogator why Hamas used the hospital he managed because for them, the hospital is a safe place, he said. They won't be targeted when they are in the hospital. The admission confirms what American intelligence already knows. Hamas used civilian infrastructure to protect itself and thus endangering civilians because the rules of war dictate that civilian infrastructure may not be targeted once it's used for military purposes. Palestinian civilians then are Hamas human shields uh, who die because Hamas terrorists embed themselves in civilian population. Kalad admitted that as many as 100 Hamas operatives operated out of his hospital, the military wing of Hamas. They worked at the hospital as doctors, nurses, and clerks. The hospital, Kalak explained, was outfitted with areas to imprison hostages, offices for political leaders, and included space for internal security and special security. He said Hamas used private telephone lines for communication. Moreover, Kalad confirmed that Hamas uses ambulances for military purposes. They have a private ambulance. Even its color and its way is painted is, is different, and it doesn't have to be, have a license plate, he said. Uh, they explained to uh, it, to use uh, to transport the hostages and transport bodies, and they used it for other purposes that I don't know about, but I saw it come and go without taking on anyone that was injured, he said. In the end, Kalat condemned Hamas operatives. So this is so interesting. He's kind of now decided and uh, that uh, he's not going to be part of Hamas. He's condemned the operatives as cowards who hide in secret places while allowing civilians to pay the price for Hamas terrorism. Isn't that a fascinating story? So, uh, and the reason I say it it's complicates things, because how, how do you tell the difference between a civilian, a Palestinian civilian, and Hamas when some of the civilians turn out to be Hamas terrorists and operatives themselves? It gets very, very complicated. Nevertheless, I just really salute Netanyahu for uh, maintaining his focus and going for, the, uh, going for the goal here of making sure that he eliminates Hamas and uh, its influence for all, I would say the end result they're seeking is basically to have Palestinians say, you know what, I don't want anything to do with Hamas because it could put my life in jeopardy. That's the end game after this is all over. And how government looks and so forth, I don't, I'm not exactly sure how that's going to happen. I would suggest, though, it can't be with the Palestinian Liberation Organization or any other organization that previously, uh, who are anti-Semitic. Well, Angola said it was leaving the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Companies, countries, OPEC, yesterday, becoming the latest on a growing list of countries ditching the Saudi-led club 
as its power wanes. Angola, which is one of OPEC's largest African oil producers, got plenty pretty peeved at the cartel when it cut Angola's oil output quota by 25% in November. OPEC wants to be able to throttle production or slam its foot on the gas whenever necessary to maximize oil profits, so it needs oil-producing bigwigs when Angola's departure the group is down to 12 members, an additional 11 ally uh, countries compromise, comprise uh, OPEC when uh, Brazil will join next year. Recently, oil prices have been hovering around $75 a barrel. They dropped about a dollar after Angola announced its departure. Even after the cartel lowered its production to try to boost prices, upsetting some members, Indonesia, Ecuador, and Qatar have all left the group in the last seven years. OPEC's power is ebbing, and I think that's the important point. The group only controls about 51% of the world's crude oil market share, according to International Energy, uh, IEA, the lowest since it's expanded in 2016 to include OPEC-plus countries. And the countries outside of OPEC and OPEC-plus are filling the gaps as the organization pulls back. The U.S. Energy Administration said U.S. crude oil output hit a record 13.3 million barrels per day last week. Plus, the market is shrinking as the world turns to greener alternatives. Oil demand is expected to peak before 2030, according to the IEA. Isn't that interesting? So uh, right now, OPEC is losing its influence and its control of the market. And now the free markets are beginning to determine prices, uh, not OPEC, because they only control about 51% of the world's uh, crude oil market share. Such an interesting story. So things are evolving on the, uh, with green energy and all the things that are going on. Again, Biden is pushing these windmills out in the uh, Gulf of Mexico and in the ocean and uh, trying to reduce oil production. Uh, again, cars aren't selling. The, the EVs are not selling. So we'll see where this all turns out, I suspect. And we're already seeing uh, countries, companies going broke because uh, uh, they're, they're just not sustainable because there's not the demand that uh, Biden is trying to push. Bidenomics, what a big failure. All right, coming up, Larry Bell. He is the endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, 
personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of about a dozen books, his latest Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It's a terrific read, as all, are all of his books. He also writes his column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, it's always a great pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you, Professor. So your latest column uh, has you wrote all about uh, what's happened in Colorado, but also a column that uh, Hunter counts on Dad's DOJ protection from Congress uh, we'll see how that goes. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, we've seen uh, a lot of uh, pretty scary stuff going on lately. And I say lately, I mean, even even before Trump was elected, where a crossfire hurricane investigation was instigated by Obama's FBI and so on. And that, that continued. And then we've seen all the... Uh, you know, the Russian collusion thing and then the impeachment uh, attempts and then the Capitol riot, uh, so-called insurrection, and on and on and on. And then the, you know, the federal and, and uh, regional lawsuits attempting to disqualify him and bankrupt him and, and, and so on. And we just see this, it just goes on and on and on. And, you kind of wonder, you know, I think, and I think it's the public's finally waking up to saying, you know, this isn't America. This is a banana republic. Yep. And we just don't, we just don't behave that way in America. And, and, and then the irony uh, is saying, well, Trump's trying to destroy democracy in the U.S. You, you hear that and you cringe and you say, oh my God, who's, who's destroying democracy you know, when we have, you know, you know the uh, options taken away from voters to pick who they want as president, and you have the opponent who's in office attempting to get the uh, get the nemesis uh, bankrupt and disqualified, and anything they can to to move him out. You see, yeah, my God, when at what point does the does the country wake up to this? Uh, Sinister stuff is Well, in some ways, you just wonder if, uh, for example, we've seen uh, his polls have an uptick every time he's indicted. Every, and I, I would imagine there's a great uptick after this uh, Colorado uh, debacle, where the uh, Supreme Court of Colorado decided that Trump's name can't peel uh, appear on the ballot. Uh, you know, this is all lawfare. This everyone, I think most people, at least Trump followers, understand what's going on. And I must say, what I appreciate, in spite of all that Trump is going through, and he's going through a lot, I, I don't know how he can take it, but irrespective, he continues to say, you know, we're focused on saving America. We want to make America great again. He's not put off by all these attacks. In fact, I think in some ways it might just deeply encourage him. <laughs> and so, and that's, that's encouraging to his electorate. Well, I think you're right. I think, and I think that's a that's evidence that you know the country is waking up to this because it does seem to change. The other thing is, you know, we've got three uh, controlling branches of government. You know, we have the executive, which seems to have gone berserk, and and they, you know, they control. So many of the agencies, and like what they're doing with Elon Musk right now, they're you know with going after him with almost every agency of the government has been weaponized not only against Trump but but against really Musk and free speech and everything else. But there's a couple of other branches, and I think that uh, you know the with regard to the Congress, the House and the Senate, we're seeing a lot more. Cooperation now, or you know, within the within the GOP members of certainly the House, and I think hopefully the Senate that they're beginning to stick together and say we we don't want to be rolled anymore by these radical Democrats. You know, we have to stand on principles when it comes to funding, you know, the border and, and other issues. Are finally showing some some backbone, but I think they're also playing with fire. They the the Democrats in the White House are playing with fire by essentially pushing some of these issues to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. 
and 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 there's a couple there that I think are pretty closely related. One is, you know, the insurrection issue with with Trump's so-called insurrection, where he's never been found, you know, guilty of insurrection. In fact, during the Capitol you know, hearings uh, previously, when you know they omitted the part. In the transcript, and he said, "Go peacefully and let your voices heard." You know, they actually admitted that, mm-hmm. deleted that, and you think that's that's banana republic stuff. But it's that it's all these these uh, these protesters that that have been you know, languishing and not languishing really so much, but just really torturously put into these uh, you know in, into the D.C. jail and uh, without trial dates and intimidated with long sentences if they don't plead out. And, and the Supreme Court's likely going to take that as well, which, which again is a, is an insurrection issue, and I think that for an insurrection claim, but they never, been, no, no one's ever been charged with that. And I think to me, those those two cases with the Supreme Court are are both joined at the hip, and yeah. and, and and now we're counting on the Supreme Court, I think, appropriately to to make some rulings that will end this. This absolute insanity that we're seeing. Uh, so, fortunately, we've got three branches of government that founding fathers had the good sense to uh, to make them co-equal, although they haven't been acting very co-equal lately. Well, we're really counting on the Supreme Court. I mean, and, uh, hopefully, with the makeup of the Supreme Court, they'll put on their big boy pants and uh, make appropriate decisions according to the Constitution, because. Uh, it's just unconstitutional that uh, we could that anyone could keep uh, President uh, Trump's name off of the ballot. And uh, the, uh, with regard to this uh, uh, January sixth debacle, that's another issue. You may have, I don't know if you've seen the congressman from Louisiana and what his comments with regard to uh, what happened on January sixth. But he's done a thorough investigation, and uh, he's he's pretty much said, you know, there are a couple of buses of. Uh, uh, <clears throat> of uh, FBI agents that showed up at 5 o'clock in the morning on January the 6th. The buses were painted white. They were unrecognizable to the public, and uh, uh, they were all dressed in uh, Make America Great Again uh, attire, paraphernalia. And, uh, you know, the, whole, the thing was encouraged, I think, uh, by FBI operatives. And, uh, you know, it, I think it was a setup, quite frankly. I think, we, I think a lot of us have heard that, you know, in the... And the Ray was, uh, Mr. Ray was, was, was interrogated or interviewed, you know, before the, before the house. And he was asked if he knew what ghost bus were. And, uh, yeah. These white buses you were referring to. And he claimed that he wasn't, he didn't, I don't think he said he, he was unaware of the term. I think he said he never used the term. Yeah. And, and you have to parse the words, you know, that these people use. So, yeah, yeah I think we're going to see a lot more of these. These issues come up, uh, you know, in, in the future when when the logjam breaks on on a lot of these uh, cover-ups, both yeah. within the you know the, the you know the DOJ and I think particularly the seventh floor of the FBI, with with a lot of these these uh, people that originally thought they were going to get reelected because Hillary is going to get re- you know, reappointed because of Hillary. Yeah, and good luck with that, and and then. Now I think a lot of them have their backs in the corner. You know, the, you know, on top of this, we've got all the hypocrisy with Hunter's, you know, Hunter's uh, tax evasion and probably foreign influence peddling. You know, the the uh, not not reporting as a as a foreign agent and so on. Um, and then James, you know, James Biden and all these more than twenty uh, phony bank accounts. Um, so all this stuff, I think, is is moving forward. And the critical thing, of course, for a lot of us is, but when? And what's the timing on these? And how does it impact the you know 2024 election in November and in uh, next November? And 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 so uh, it's going to be an interesting year. But I think, in many respects, an encouraging year. I'm looking forward to you know a, a change of 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 the trajectory of a lot of the politics right now, and I think I think there's I think there's great hope that uh, this will 
really, really a, a, a reawakening for people of all backgrounds that say, well, this this isn't America. We kind of like the old America, as, as, as many uh, find, you know, there's, there's false, yeah. there's politics, but then there's, there's something even deeper. We call it evil, and that's what we've been seeing. Absolutely, Professor. Yeah, I just genuinely appreciate your comment here on the show. I'm going to refer our listeners uh, to Newsmax.com and to your column on point. It's just really terrific. I appreciate so much your commentary here on the show, Professor, and I really hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday. Thanks so much for joining us. And Bob, and same here. I really enjoy our conversations so much. I do. I do as well. Thank you, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I really appreciate your listening in. And I hope, or no, no show on uh, Christmas Day, by the way. I hope you have a, a very thoughtful, wonderful, and joyous uh, Christmas holiday or whatever religion you, you might uh, uh, practice. But irrespective, I hope you make it a great day uh, not, and weekend and Christmas here on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>